Hey, everybody, it's Ryan Ripley. Wanted to get a new offering in front of you as soon as possible, evidence-based leadership. And so, as you all know, Todd Miller, myself, and Will Seeley, we're big on evidence-based management. We want to apply it to the leadership space. We all know that modern managers face complex challenges every day. You're juggling a lot of needs, your direct reports, your stakeholders, your customers, they all need constant attention. What we want to do is help you manage that. We want you to use information and data to make good decisions around all of these areas so that we're delivering the right thing at the right time for the right customer. And we know that we're doing that because we're using data and evidence to validate all the things that we're doing. And not only that, we're not just looking at value, but we're looking at our capabilities as an organization. Can we deliver on time? Can we innovate effectively? Do we have too much tech debt? Do we have too many things in process? Are we unable to deliver when the market demands that we do? We look at all of these things with evidence-based management. We merge that into a leadership uh, mindset and lens, and we enable you to make new and better decisions repeatedly based off of the data that you're collecting within your organization. It's exciting stuff. We hope you can join us. Visit agileforhumans.com forward slash EBL course. Join us in one of these offerings. We think you're going to love it. Hope you can join us. Use Agile for Humans, the number four, to take another 15% off of this course. And uh, we can't wait to see you there. Well, we are here to talk about another key value area, KVA, as we say for short. Yeah. That is ability to innovate. Yeah, the last one. The last one. So ability to innovate. Tell me more, Will. What's ability to innovate mean? So in our last episode, we looked at how much time does it get us, uh, does it take us to get something to market? But what we also want to look at was, well, what are we actually getting to market? Right? Um, it's one thing to get information from the market, but if most of what we do is rote or defect fixing work or just keeping the lights on, then well, we may be getting stuff out there very quickly, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's valuable mm -hmm. or or even some sort of change. So ability to innovate really looks at what is our ability to deliver new value, right? Both from an internal perspective, right? What are things that, that enable or prevent us from delivering new value, but also what are things that enable or prevent our customers from benefiting from that innovation, right? Because like we said last episode, you can push amazing new things out there, but if we continuously push new things to our customers, we may be hitting a limit on their ability to absorb mm -hmm. those things. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, immediately what comes to my mind when I think of ability to innovate, well, we could continue to be pushing new things out there. Current value is looking pretty good, right? We're maybe acquiring some unrealized value and we're quickly getting things to market, but we're piling up defects yeah. uh, sooner or later. We're piling up those defects and you could have a reverse reaction. Like customers will start noticing that your quality is faltering. Um, and so I, I always kind of look at as ability to innovate as one of those things that's keeping us honest. Right? Is ability to, and looking at ability to innovate is really keeping us from a delivery perspective, honest about what we might be delivering and signaling that there could potentially be some quality issues, or maybe we're resolving quality issues on a kind of more positive way to look at it. Yeah. Should we should we hop to the board? Yeah, let's uh, let's look at a, a few examples. Yeah, let's take a look at some examples here. So let me get us over to the board. Here we are, ability to innovate. 
And Will, you know, you were saying um, uh, uh, ability to deliver new things. Yep. Ability to deliver new value and the ability of our customer to benefit from that value. There we go. I'm writing that down. Customer to benefits. Right. Um, and, you know, I, I had mentioned here, too, this is something that uh, keeps us honest. It comes with really the, the how and what we're delivering from a delivery perspective. Right. Yeah. Cool. So should we hop into then some examples of how we're using this? Will? yeah, absolutely. I've got, I've got two this time. All right. All right. I'm, I'm excited to hear them. All right. So one of the ones and we were talking a little bit about this before we started recording this episode is we're very mindful of our time, right? Because it's, well, it's, it's all that we control really. And once you spend it, you can never get it back. So um, like I was saying before is one of the things that I look at in my, in, in my own private life and in my business life is how do I, how utilized am I? Mm -hmm. Make sure that I'm, that I'm not overbooked um, or, or so full that I can't react to new things happening in the market. But zooming in on that is I also look at my own innovation rate mm -hmm. of that time that I have booked uh, up ahead. Right. So looking forward and also looking back is what percentage of that time was I spending doing stuff that I already know how to do. Right. So consulting or training um, or, or a little bit of mentoring every so often versus what percentage of time do I spend on my own education? Right. Am I, am I pursuing new classes? Am I reading enough books? Am I looking at uh, looking at other other sources of information to make sure that I'm still continuously developing? I like that. From a customer perspective, right? One thing that I think you and I both both have run into, and I think a lot of lot of uh, consultants run into, is we come into an organization, they ask for a lot of things, and we have a lot of ideas. And one thing I've noticed happen quite a bit is that I push too much too quick. Mm -hmm. Right? You want to do Scrum, and ideally, we also want to do flow metrics, and we want to bring in a bit of lean UX while we're at it, and do a uh, and also do some facilitation and we want to do a little bit of leadership change and oh, we want to look at the way the core the organization set up and the rewards model and the career progression and then suddenly it's so much change heading their way that none of it actually sticks mm -hmm. right so one thing i've become more and more mindful of is how many experiments can i run simultaneously with a client before I hit their absorption uh, maximum. Like it. So I'm going to put in here, I just put will number experience running a client. And I'm just going to put that word customer absorption here, which we were talking about. We were talking about, uh, I think we've talked about that in our current value episode. That's a good one, right? Like the, the ability, and that's interesting because a lot of what you do, Will, uh, is in regards to change, change, organizational change. And so like that customer absorption, that number of running experiments at a client might be indicative of uh, the organization's ability to change at the pace that you are, are, are kind of 
pushing by, by putting a new thing in place, by putting EBM in place when it wasn't there before, that's a change. And yeah. can that organization absorb the change or is it just going to reject it because it's too soon? Yeah. Yeah. Like it. I like it. You know, um, so from Agile for Human, maybe, maybe I need two now since you did two. I'm going to put two up. So Bring it. <laughs> Agile for Humans, one is really simple. One is really simple. Um, class cancellations. Now, this isn't something that we expect to have happen often, but we will, uh, the week before a class, sometimes have a client come and say, we can't do that class right now. We've got to move it, right? Um, we've also in the past had a public course, to be quite honest with you, where we don't sell enough seats. This, again, doesn't happen to us that often. But what it really does is it impedes our ability to um, engage with a new customer or have, uh, uh, you know, understand what we're doing from a scheduling perspective. So it's quite disruptive. It's quite disruptive because we end up having to do this reschedule effort or we have, you know, like we might end up having to move students around. Right. So I feel like that's pretty, pretty um, impedes our ability to innovate as an organization. Um, uh, Another one that I'm going to put down here uh, is that uh, number of engagements. Um, Shoot. I have grammar popping up. Number of engagements that we have. Uh, and the reason why when I put number of engagements here is what I'm really looking at is uh, context switching. Right? Have you ever gone to a meeting because you've over-engaged with clients expecting that somebody was going to be at that meeting, but it was a di- different client? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And oh, my goodness, how unthoughtful and embarrassing that is, right? Um, when I show up to a meeting, I'm like, is Lindsay going to be here? We're just, should we wait for her? And they say, like, who's Lindsay? And I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm the wrong client. So the reason why we're measuring this is the uh, we really want to limit it. And the and you, I guess you could argue that um, from if you want to put a different lens on, you could say this is in current value. But the reason why we're looking at it this way is because of a context switch and the number of context switches that we have to have because the number of engagements that we're on, um, we really want to limit that. It's not fair to our clients, right? It's not fair to us because it hurts our brains. And really, it diminishes our quality. So yeah. uh, th- those those are two things that that we that we look at under ability. And, and indeed, it's it's good that you mention it, right? Because context switching is is one of those measures that you could use in both KVAs and potentially even tells you a bit about both KVAs because there is a lot of time lost mm-hmm. in context switching. Uh, and I think this is this is the easy way to look at it, and this is certainly how I look at it most of the time is right. It's, it's 20% for each additional context that you add. So it really adds up a lot, but I need you touch on something very important is that it is detrimental to quality and focus, right. And, and thus impacts your ability to actually do something new because it, it becomes strenuous to just even keep the lights on at one point. It does. It does. Yeah. And it's just not, it's just not good for us. Will. As human beings, context switching is not good for us, right? Um, so I, I think it's, uh, I, I, I thought that would be an important one to put up there. And since you did too, I put two up. Yeah. Um, I think what might be interesting to add just to further, to further uh, uh, discuss ability to innovate is what are some other things that you, that you commonly see organizations um, put underneath here? So remember KVMs, key value metrics or how we, what we use, we, you know, will we just, uh, gave four examples from uh, two different perspectives here. What are some other KVMs that you might see a, uh, a company use here? Oh man, the the one I've seen in multiple organizations that has the most 
brutal effect is the installed version index. I love that one. I love it. Yep. Right. How many different versions of your product are you supporting? Right. This this is nasty. I remember I once uh, I once worked with an organization that uh, that that did marketing software, and on first glance they said, "Well, our installed version index is one." Right. We have we have version twelve, and we're going to go to version thirteen uh, in 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 a few months' time. So so it's one. We don't know why things are going so so slow. And what we'd actually found is that because they were very big on customizing the software for to specific client needs. They actually didn't support one version. They supported 62. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So when they wanted to go from version 12 to 13, or even when they wanted to fix a bug in version 12, they didn't have to test it against one version. They had to test it against those 60 plus mm-hmm. different versions mm-hmm. to make sure it didn't break anything in that custom configuration before before they could actually implement it and move on <laughs> huge slowdown my goodness yeah i've used it a uh, very similar way too and if you think about it like this is a uh, uh, the underlying issue here is we're just paying more and more money for support right more and more money for support rather than finding new and better ways for us to deploy um something right so i i think that that's a good one uh, there's just two that i'm going to add here and then we'll probably be done uh, defect trends right uh Defect trends is something, uh, if you're in the software field, tech debt is something that you might find here, right? Just all, all these things, right? All these things that, that you could identify that are telling you, um, really, what is inhibiting us from delivering this new value, right? Or what is enabling us on a more positive side? But um, looking at these things, looking at the things that we were talking about as our companies will, um, I think that might be a, a wrap. Do you have anything else you want to add ability to innovate before we uh, shut this? Window? Well, I think, I think the, the, the risk here is that you really look at this internally, right? So installed mm-hmm. version index and, and defect trends and tech debts. And um, th- so these are all, these are all things that you can measure within the company. The important part is that you also measure something with regards to your customer's ability mm-hmm. to benefit how many customers are on the last version of your product? How many customers are actually using these new features um, that you put out? Yeah, and well, I'm going to highlight that in the notes because I think that's really, because we can get so caught up measuring ourselves internally that we start to forget about this, right? What's like, like customer absorption is, is the reason why I put customer perspective here, right? So, that's really in our customer's ability to take that new information, that new features, those new things that we're giving them and absorb it. You were, in your example, we're talking about organizational change and the ability to or absorb that organizational change. For product people that are watching this, it could be that new feature that you ship, or if you ship 10 features at once, it's overwhelming to our customers. So I think that's a really important, uh, I think that's a really important call out. All right. Well, I, that does it for the KVAs, Will. Exactly. So um, when we come back in our next episode, um, we're going to look at goals. Yeah. Right. Because this is all this is all measurements, and trust us, it's good to start measuring some of these things. But ultimately, the the to answer that question of okay, out of all the things that we possibly could measure, hmm. what makes sense to measure? 
right? That's where those goals come uh, come in. So that's what we hope to see you back for in the next episodes. Yeah, hundred percent. Because why are we doing what we're doing? Well. Hey, it's Ryan. If you're enjoying this show and want to take a deeper dive into Scrum with me and Todd, check out agileforhumans.com forward slash training. Be sure to also look at the show notes to subscribe to our newsletter, get a copy of our book, Fixing Your Scrum, and learn more about working with us at Agile for Humans. Thanks for listening and Scrum on.